Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. We're going to start off today with a recipe for winter squash pancakes with crispy sage and brown butter. There comes times in every cookbook author's life that they have a very specific kind of gift to bestow on unsuspecting others. Tasty, deeply loved dishes that were dismissed, ejected, left homeless in the editorial process because they didn't make the cut. The reasons may be myriad. The ingredient format or flavor felt redundant with another dish, or as happened here, something else about it gnawed at me until I decided it was best to move on without it. I believe we call these rejects. I, however, prefer to call them displacements. And I'm not even sad because this means I get to share it with you sooner. These are my most favorite dinner pancake to date. And I loved them as endlessly when I made them for the first time two years ago. It's true, I am this slow at booking. As I did when I revisited them last weekend. Here you can use any roasted mashed winter squash. I've made this with both kabocha and butternut, but you can use whatever you have or can get, and you can whisk it into quick, thick batter with sour cream or buttermilk, flour, eggs, and then, instead of the predictable sugar and pumpkin spice, we add salt, pepper, and gruyere, or parmesan, if you're feeling it. No surprise here that we always are. Then you spoon them into a frying pan, just like you were making pancakes on Saturday morning, if you're the sort of person who does such things. There's some beautiful photos. They look really yummy. Not that anyone asks the details, but this is where I got stuck. Do we serve them with a yogurt sauce? Mm, sort of salsa verde? Probably, but they were so mellow. I wasn't sure they needed anything so sharp. So I started Googling savory squash pancakes, and all the way at the bottom of the second page of results, I discovered that someone, the lovely and dangerous Mimi Thorison, had gotten to my pancake idea first, and I was very sad because I like to believe every thought that comes to my head is a special butterfly or unique snowflake, even when the evidence to the contrary mounts. And then right after I was sad, I realized that the recipe did have something mine had not yet, and it stuck the landing. Thorson has you finish the pancakes with a bit of sage crisped and brown butter that you pour over the pancakes, and it is everything. It's the perfect coda. It's also a little crazy, yes, we're going to just pour some butter over these pancakes like we've never heard of arteries, but I find that very little goes a long way, and there's absolutely nothing else on top that will be half as unforgettable. I had coffee with Mimi and her husband and two of their gorgeous kids a couple of years ago. By the end of the hour, I was so charmed that the spell they cast was so pervasive, I was 100% ready to buy a farmhouse in France. Actually, I kind of can't remember why we haven't to this point. But here's the recipe. Winter squash pancakes with crispy sage and brown butter. This, uh, as far as the servings goes, it makes 12 pancakes, and you can serve as three as a main or four to six as a side. Uh, time, 15 minutes once the squash is cooked. I prefer my own winter squash pancake, a little more squash, less flour, and an additional egg to help it set. Recipe, but the crispy sage brown butter is inspired by a Mimi Thorison version. Uh, Thorison recommends five plus tablespoons of butter, but I found even two or even two ish 
makes a finish that trickles over the side of the stack just enough that you can taste and enjoy it, but not drown it in richness. Definitely adjust it to your taste. Finally, I can just about guarantee that you will not regret it if you double this recipe. The pancakes keep well in the fridge and can also be frozen. As far as making the pancakes, you'll need one cup of roasted and mashed winter squash, one third cup of yogurt or sour cream, two large eggs, one half cup finely grated Gruyere, Comte or Parmesan, three quarters teaspoon of fine sea or table salt, a few grinds of black pepper, one teaspoon of baking powder, one cup of all-purpose flour, butter or olive oil for frying pan, and then to finish you'll need two to three tablespoons of butter, a pinch or two of salt, and a few fresh sage leaves. In a large bowl you're going to whisk the squash, yogurt, eggs, cheese, salt, pepper, and baking powder until smooth. Add flour and stir until just combined. The batter will be thick. Heat a large frying pan over medium-low to medium-high heat. Um, excuse me, not medium-high, medium-low to medium heat. Coat the bottom with butter or olive oil or a combination thereof, whichever you prefer, and spoon in the pancake batter a heaped soup spoon or a scant one-quarter cup at a time. Press the back of the batter mound to flatten the pancake slightly. Cook until golden brown underneath. Flip and then cook until the color of golden brown is on the second side. If this is happening very fast, lower your heat. If you're worried the pancakes have not cooked in the center, you can finish them for 10 minutes in a 250 degree oven. You can also keep your pancakes warm there until needed. Uh, repeat with the remaining batter. To finish, you're going to wipe out the frying pan and place butter, a pinch or two of salt, and sage leaves back in it and heat it over medium. The sage leaves will crisp and the butter will brown in a minute or two, so keep a close watch on it. Pour the leaves and the butter over the pancakes and quickly understand why you'll never have them any other way. As far as roasting the squash, for butternut or kabocha, I have the squash and scoop out the seeds and roast it face down on an oiled baking sheet that I've sprinkled with coarse salt about 375 degrees for 40 to 50 minutes until tender. I get about two cups of mashed squash from one two-pound, i.e. small to medium, whole squash. If yours is already peeled and in, say, one-inch chunks, it will likely be tender in just 25 minutes. That sounds absolutely delicious. We're going to follow that one with a sugared pretzel cookie for dessert. Six years ago, I attempted my to shift my existing pretzel obsession into the cookie category with only moderate success. The chocolate pretzel cookies I made were shiny, twisted, and gorgeous, but tasted so mediocre, dry, flat in flavor, basically, eh. I concluded that the firmness we'd want from a pretzel shape was probably not something that we wanted in a cookie, but silly me, I was just looking in the wrong place. Last fall, some of you might remember, I did a little bit of tiny book touring from November through mid-December, and then February through March of this year. And, okay, it was kind of a big deal. I went to 28 cities, and so many cool things happened over the course of those trips. I never got around to telling you about them because the whole thing was so surreal. To me, it just didn't seem easily digested in 500-word snippets. Nevertheless, I really owe you a story about the day I was in Boston and was invited to visit America's Test Kitchen 
Cook's illustrated offices and kitchens, which are exactly as awesome as you would imagine them, and yet cozier. The whole place feels like a giant house on different floors, and people are incredibly friendly and warm. Did you know that CI has the largest privately owned cookbook collection in the world? Just 4,000 or so. Who wants to move in there with me? The kitchens are amazing, as you would expect. Busy with clusters of cooks testing out different recipes. When a recipe needs to be tested, a call is placed over the speaker that pipes through the offices, and people are encouraged to stop what they're doing and take part in blind tastings, because obviously this is the best place to work in the whole world. While I was there, we were encouraged to try steamed fish, and I really was about to. I was, but then over in the corner, I spied something, someone testing picnic fried chicken, and the next thing I knew, I was maybe possibly begging for my own personal unscheduled tasting, and no doubt ensuring that I'll never be invited back again, but it was totally worth it. That stuff was amazing, and while the cook was empathetic, and telling me that they were just getting started with the testing, that it wasn't quite ready yet, I snuck in another piece, and I am not sorry. But what does this have to do with pretzels? Well, having witnessed even a particle-sized segment of how serious they take their recipe testing, it should be no surprise that the way to figure out how to make pretzel-shaped cookies that actually taste excellent was to turn to CI. The recipe is from an old article about perfecting the French butter cookie known as a sable. They found that two things helped them nail the hallmark sandiness in the cookie, dialing back the butter a bit and using an egg yolk that had already been hard cooked. I went one step further in tweaking this. I have an ongoing fixation with Swedish rye cookies and couldn't resist replacing one third of the flour with rye flour. The resulting cookie looks straight out of one of those Danish butter cookie tins, you know, as if they were made with whole grain flours and real vanilla, and they're really fun to make with a truck aproned assistant. That would be Deb's son. <laughs> so, um, as far as cookie week, this is all about cookies. Yesterday we talked about cigarettes or rousses, which is pyrolines. There's a link at smittenkitchen.com. And as far as more cookies, there are about 85 cookie recipes in the archives at smittenkitchen.com. Uh, favorite holiday-ish ones, get away from me or I'll eat them all, are Austrian raspberry shortbread, crescent jam and cheese cookies. Ooh, that sounds good. Grasshopper brownies, seven-layer cookies, tiny pecan sandies, nutmeg maple butter cookies, and peanut butter cookies. For cookie ideal for gingerbread men, ninja bread men, or gingerbread houses try these spicy gingerbread cookies. So here is the recipe for sugared pretzel cookies. This is adapted barely from Cook's Illustrated. I love the rye flour in here. It gives the cookies an earthier flavor and depth, while the hard-boiled egg yolk gives the cookies a perfect sandiness that holds up even days later. You can use an equal amount of an all-purpose flour, about a half cup, if you don't wish to make these with rye flour. So, um, CI estimates that this makes 80 cookies. In hindsight, I think this is way too high. I'd say 48 tops and 36 safely. So, apologies for any trouble. You'll need one large egg, hard-boiled and cooled. Two, excuse me, 10 tablespoons of unsalted butter, softened. 1 third cup plus 1 tablespoon of granulated sugar, 1 quarter teaspoon table salt, 
one and a half teaspoons of vanilla extract. This is halved from the original recipe, by the way. One cup of unbleached all-purpose flour. One half cup of rye flour, medium or white, will work. One large egg white, lightly beaten with one teaspoon of water. And four teaspoons of turbinado or clear sanding sugar. You're going to place the butter, sugar, and salt in the bowl of, of a stand mixer fitted with a paddle attachment. You're going to crack your egg and peel the shell. Separate the yolk from the white and add the white to your next sandwich or egg salad. Press the yolk through a fine mesh strainer and into the mixing bowl with the other ingredients. Beat the mixture on medium speed until light and fluffy, scraping down the sides of the bowl and beater with a spatula as needed. Add vanilla and mix until combined. Add the flowers and mix at low speed until just combined. And then using a rubber spatula or your hands, reach into the bowl and knead the dough a few times into a cohesive mass. You're going to divide the dough in half and place each half on a separate square parchment paper. Form each into a log about six inches long. It will be about one and three quarter inches in diameter. And then you're going to wrap tightly with parchment, twisting the ends to seal. You're going to chill the logs for 30 minutes until semi-firm. If you chill them longer, you'll want to warm them up, up a bit, or it's difficult to work them into pretzel shapes. So shoot for the 30 minutes is probably best. You're going to heat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit, and then you're going to line two baking sheets with parchment paper. Slice one quarter inch off of the first chilled log and roll the slice into a ball in the palm of your hands. This softens the dough. On a counter, you're going to roll the ball into a six-inch rope. Pick up each end of the rope and fold it into the center, pressing it into a pretzel shape. Transfer to the baking sheet and then repeat with the remaining dough, placing cookies one inch apart on prepared sheets. You're going to brush each pretzel cookie with egg white wash and then sprinkle with coarse sugar. And then bake the cookies until they have golden brown edges about 13 to 15 minutes and remove from the oven but let them firm up on a baking sheet for five minutes before transferring the cookies to cooling racks. As far as doing ahead, a uh, cookie stored in an airtight container between sheets of wax or parchment paper will keep for at least a week. So next recipe we're going to have is for a wild mushroom and Stilton galette. This is beautiful with the mushrooms in the center of the clock-shaped galette and nice beautifully golden brown around the edges. About five years ago, my best friend decided to host Christmas Eve dinner at her new house, and I came over to help, but whew, we had set out a lot of cooking for ourselves. We made this mushroom galette, and I remember thinking at the time it was one of the most elaborate things I had ever made. But what I really meant was pain in the rear end. It has all of these well steps and directions, and you're not sure that they're utterly necessary or bettering the end product, but you follow them because you don't want to find out the other way that you should have just done it. This dish did not reappear in my life until a year ago, June, at my bridal shower in the form of a card that she tucked into a recipe book that my sister compiled from guests. I laughed when I looked at it. Why would anyone ever make such a pesky recipe again? Me, it turns out. Again, making it again, I realized it was, yeah, a little fussy, but also just so good. A little luxurious. And a treat for people who like strong flavors. Blue cheese and all the mushrooms you can find. I think of this like a great side dish for a dinner party. 
It's rustic, but once you taste it, it's clear that it could easily upstage any rack of lamb or turkey. And if you're wiped out for Wiped Out Wednesday, well, 10 p.m. is never too late to have the most delicious part of your day. Here's the recipe, mushroom and Stilton galette. It serves six, it takes one hour, plus rest time. The source is William Sonova Seasonal Celebration Series, Autumn. So a couple of updates. I've sped up the galette dough process, putting it in line with my other galette recipes. As for the mushrooms, I buy a pound of whatever looks good. Sometimes I'll use a full pound of browned cremony, and it works as well. So just get whichever kind of mushrooms you'd like. For the pastry, you need one and a quarter cups of all-purpose flour, one quarter teaspoon salt, eight tablespoons of unsalted butter cut into pieces, one quarter cup of sour cream or plain yogurt, two teaspoons of lemon juice, one quarter cup of ice water, and then for the filling, you'll need one quarter ounce of dried wild mushrooms such as chanterelles, porcini, or shiitakes. You also need one cup of boiling water, two tablespoons of unsalted butter, three quarter cup of sliced green onions, one garlic clove minced, one half teaspoon of chopped fresh rosemary, one half teaspoon of chopped fresh thyme, and one half pound of assorted fresh wild mushrooms such as chanterelles, porcini, and shiitakes, brushed clean, and large mushrooms thinly sliced. You'll need one half pound of fresh button mushrooms brushed clean and thinly sliced, and then kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper. You also need five ounces of Stilton or another good quality blue cheese. To finish, you need one large egg yolk whisked with one half teaspoon of water. This is optional. So to make the pastry, you're going to whisk together the flour and salt in a large bowl and then sprinkle bits of butter over the dough and using a pastry blender, cut it in until the mixture resembles coarse meal with the biggest pieces of butter the size of tiny peas. In a small bowl, you're going to whisk together the sour cream, lemon juice, and water and add this to the butter flour mixture. With your fingertips or a wooden spoon, mix in the liquid until large lumps form. Pat the lumps into a ball and do not overwork the dough. Cover with plastic wrap and refrigerate for one to two hours until very cold. So meanwhile, you're going to make the filling. Place the dried mushrooms in a small bowl and add the boiling water. Let stand for 30 minutes until softened. Then drain the mushrooms and mince finely. You're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And then in a large saute pan over medium heat, melt the butter. Add the green onions and saute, stirring occasionally until soft, about five minutes. Add the garlic, rosemary, and thyme and continue to cook, stirring for one minute more. Increase the heat to high, add the fresh and rehydrated mushrooms, season well with salt and pepper, and saute until the mushrooms are tender and the liquid they released has completely evaporated. That'll be about eight to 10 minutes. Then transfer to a plate and let cool. On a floured work surface, you're going to roll out the dough into a 12-inch round and then transfer to an ungreased baking sheet. Crumble the blue cheese into a bowl, add the cooled mushrooms, and stir well. Spread the mixture over the dough, leaving one and a half inch border, 
and then fold the border over the mushrooms and cheese, pleating the edge to make it fit. The center will be open. If you'd like, brush the outside of the dough with the egg wash for a deeper, shinier color. Bake until golden brown, about 30 to 40 minutes. Then remove from the oven, let stand for five minutes, then slide the galette onto a serving plate. Cut into wedges and serve hot, warm, or at room temperature. As far as doing ahead, the galette keeps well in the fridge for four to five days. Next, we're gonna have a recipe for Vidalia onion soup with wild rice. It's an onion soup for puddly days like this when you're stuck inside after an all too brief sunny weekend. It's mild and faintly nutty from the rice, but it's no weakling. It's hearty enough that you're not left scrambling for something else to accompany it for dinner or a lazy weekend lunch. Here's the recipe, Vidalia onion soup with wild rice and blue cheese, adapted just a little from Charlie Trotter via the New York Times. Thankfully, Vidalias don't require a trip to Georgia to buy, though were it in my power, I'd be there in a heartbeat. As they're fairly widely distributed, nevertheless, if you can't get them at your grocery store, I found them at Whole Foods this time, I find that Spanish Texas 1015s, Walla Walla, and other sweet varieties of onion are adequate substitutes. Due to the mild flavor of the soup, if you've got good homemade stock stashed away, this is a great time to defrost it. Trotter calls for an herb bundle in this soup that's roughly three quarters of a cup of your favorite fresh herbs chopped. He calls for three tablespoons of chopped chives, basil, flat leaf parsley, and four tablespoons of chopped tarragon, though I don't think you need to be overly rigid and adhering to a formula as far as the herbs go. This serves four. You'll need one half cup of wild rice uncooked, three tablespoons of unsalted butter, two and a half pounds, that's about four Vidalia onions or other sweet onions, quartered and very thinly sliced, six cups of chicken or vegetable stock, herb bundle, salt and pepper, eight slices of baguette, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, four ounces of Maytag or other young, not too sharp blue cheese at room temperature. You're gonna cook the wild rice in a small saucepan according to the package directions. Usually two cups of water is the amount needed for one half cup of wild rice. You're gonna bring it to a boil and reduce the heat to a very low simmer and cover the pot. Let it cook undisturbed until the rice is tender and the water is absorbed about 50 to 55 minutes and then set aside. Melt the butter in the bottom of a four to five quart saucepan or Dutch oven over moderately low heat. Add the onions, toss to coat them in oil and cover the pot. Reduce the heat to real low and then let them slowly steep for 15 minutes. They don't need your attention. You can even check your email. Oh, who are we kidding? Facebook. <laughs> After 15 minutes, uncover the pot Raise the heat slightly and season the onions with a bit of salt and pepper. Cook the onions, stirring frequently for another 15 to 25 minutes or until they're tender, limp, and sweet. Add the stock and simmer for 20 minutes and then wrap the herbs, again, whichever herbs you want, into a small piece of cheesecloth and tie them with kitchen string. Trotter suggests you drop the bundle into the broth for one minute and then remove it. But after going through such an effort to make one, I decided to leave mine in a little longer and it made me feel better. <laughs> Adjust the seasonings with additional salt and pepper if needed. 
You're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees. Brush both sides of the baguette slices with oil. Bake on a baking sheet until light golden brown, about 5 to 10 minutes. And while the croutons are still warm, spread them with blue cheese. To serve, divide the rice among four bowls and ladle broth and onions on top. Float two croutons in the center of each bowl and sprinkle with more pepper and eat immediately. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.